Hello, and welcome to the Latin American History Podcast, episode 74, The Conquest of Peru, part 13. If you've listened to this podcast from the beginning, you'll remember that back in episode 1, we talked about how the Americas were first populated, and how the exact events are still not completely clear. There are academic debates about who was involved, when it happened, and what route they took. I wanted to quickly mention today a piece of new research which has come out recently, which addresses some of these questions, and which I think is very interesting. A new paper has been published, and it suggests that there may have been two different migrations across the Bering Straits land bridge, and that interestingly, the people who made their way to the Americas may have come from different sets of populations across a much wider area than previously thought. The most common theory is that indigenous Americans descended from Siberians who already lived close to the land bridge which crossed the Bering Straits. Well, this new paper doesn't disagree that this happened, but by comparing the DNA of modern populations in the Americas and in Asia, they have found links between the indigenous people and populations in Japan, particularly the Ainu, an indigenous group who live there. The researchers suggest that a group of people living on the northern part of China's coast started migrating in different directions, some to Japan and others into Siberia and across to the Americas. This was the second migration, probably several thousand years after the first Siberian groups moved across. And interestingly, genetic traces from this event are found all over the Americas, as far south as Bolivia, Chile and Brazil. The authors also point to similarities in the styles of some arrow and spearheads found in the Americas, Japan and northern China, and say that this provides further evidence for their theory. There's a lot more to discover. Further study can back this up. It's a fascinating breakthrough. When we left off last time, Manco Inca had just led what remained of the Inca leadership away from the Cusco region to Vilcabamba, leaving the two Spanish factions to fight it out for control of Peru. Almagro occupied Cusco itself, and when he had taken the city, he had captured Pizarro's brothers, Hernando and Gonzalo, as well as Alonso de Alvarado, who had commanded the army Pizarro had sent, and which Almagro's commanders, Ogonez and Pauyu, had just beaten at the Battle of Abancay. Pizarro sat in Lima, waiting for news, and when it arrived he can't have been happy. These latest developments gave Almagro an advantage, but things were far from over. The scene was set, for both sides to start planning their next move. A couple of episodes ago, Pizarro had tried to appoint a new puppet emperor, and he had sent him up to Cusco. You might remember that this trick did not work, and on the way there, they were ambushed by Manco's forces. The new emperor had no intention of taking up his puppet position, and so he assisted in this ambush. Well, now Almagro wanted to try the same move and it worked out much better for him. He announced that Pauyu was the new Inca emperor. Pauyu was much more willing to accept Spanish control, 
and his lack of power in return for comfort and nominal status. This was, of course, a blow for Manco, who had hoped that Pauyu would join him in resisting. Was the real continuation of the Empire. Not everything was going Almagro's way, however. Gonzalo and Alonso managed to escape their captivity and to flee Cusco. This weakened his bargaining position, but he still had Hernando, and this was enough to convince Pizarro that his best move was to begin trying to negotiate. He selected a man named Gaspar de Espinosa to be his intermediary. Espinosa was perhaps one of the most important Spaniards in the Americas at the time. He had first set off for the Spanish Caribbean, before moving on to Panama and being made mayor of one of the new settlements there in 1513. The following year, he joined Davila's expedition to the Darien, and became involved in the politics of the colony by defending Balboa when he fell out with Davila. After this, he led his own expedition to chart more of the Pacific coast, and then he joined De Soto in an expedition up the Caribbean coast of Nicaragua. After some time back in Spain, he was made chief judge of both Santo Domingo, and therefore the island of Hispaniola, and Panama. He had been born into a family of bankers, and so he was able to learn this trade from them, and he had the financial resources to practice it himself. Besides his status, this was another reason Pizarro chose him to talk to Almagro. Back in the early days, when the two had been working together in Panama to put together their expedition to Peru, Espinosa had provided them with a large amount of their funding. It's unclear whether he had already received the promised return on his investment, but if not, then Almagro, alongside Pizarro, would have had a responsibility to clear their debt. Even if he had, the fact that he had helped make the whole thing possible might have meant that Almagro felt some sort of moral debt to listen to him. You would also presume that they knew each other personally from their time in Panama. Espinosa seems to have taken his position as independent mediator seriously. He didn't take sides, and he worked to avert further conflict between the Spaniards. He was clearly closely aligned to the crown, having been the king's official representative in Panama and Hispaniola, and it was obviously in the king's interest that they stop fighting so that the new colony could prosper and provide the king with a reliable stream of wealth. Being a moneylender, he too perhaps would have stood to gain from a stable colony, where people wanted funding to build up newly conquered land or to launch expeditions further into the interior. He settled into Cusco to begin the discussions, and these would end up taking several months to complete. Almagro's initial negotiating position was a tough one. He believed that he had the advantage, and he planned to use this to advance his position as far as possible. If it wasn't for him, he argued, Manco would still be in control of the highlands, and he may have even overrun Pizarro in Lima. He therefore deserved more than the king had awarded him. Surely the monarch would agree if he knew what was happening on the ground. Cusco, therefore, was not up for debate. That would be the capital of his viceroyalty. But furthermore, 
the line which separated his land from that of Bizarro should be moved north, and it should run just to the south of Lima. Faced with this, Espinosa's strategy was to agree to a temporary boundary and then send an outline of the situation to the king so that he could make the final judgment. In order to make this palatable to Pizarro, however, who would be doing most of the compromising, it made sense to try to persuade Almagro to move the boundary southwards. While he could not immediately relay this to Pizarro in Lima, in an attempt to convince him that waiting for a final judgment from the king was preferable to more fighting, he could do this with Hernando. While the elder Pizarro was in charge, Hernando was the one who would have most desired revenge against Almagro, having been imprisoned by him, and we've seen in the past that he was much more hot-headed than his calculating older brother. Visiting Hernando in jail, Espinosa is said to have given him advice about the futility of war between Spaniards. Having witnessed the quarrels between Davila and Balboa, he spoke with first-hand experience when he told Hernando that in these disputes people often found themselves losing not just their claims, but also their liberty and sometimes their lives. He also warned him that if he annoyed the king too much by fighting, both sides might lose out, and that if the king decided to send someone new to take over, it would be it. He is said to have made similar points to Almagro, citing examples of Roman civil wars, including those of Pompey against Julius Caesar. This supposedly impressed Almagro, who decided that if Espinosa was so knowledgeable, he must know what he was talking about. A few days ago, I arrived back in Bogota, Colombia. I'm delighted to be back in Latin America, surrounded by all the sights and sounds I love. It's been a while since I was here, though, and my Spanish has become a little rusty. If you've ever learned a language for a trip abroad, to connect with family and friends, or simply just for the fun of it, you might know what I mean. To help get me back up to scratch, I've been using Rosetta Stone. It's been perfect for this allowing me to pick up at the level that I'm at, rather than starting from the beginning. And as it's available on both desktop and as an app on my phone, and lessons can be downloaded for use when not connected to the internet, I've been able to make use of time spent on planes and buses. I've already noticed a difference as I engage in conversations with locals and navigate everyday interactions in shops, restaurants, and museums. Its true accent speech recognition feature has helped me to perfect my pronunciation and encouraged me to think in Spanish as well as just attempting to speak it. Over 30 years, Rosetta Stone has perfected its language learning method to create a program which is immersive, intuitive, and designed to promote long-term retention. It's also great value, with its current half-price membership giving you access to 25 languages for life. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Latin American History Podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Some of Almagro's supporters, including Algonias, were encouraging Almagro to take an aggressive approach. But eventually, 
he was persuaded to come to an agreement. It was not just Espinosa's negotiating skills that swung it for him. He recognised that while he had a military advantage over Pizarro, there were a couple of things which could counteract that. Firstly, Pizarro's position on the coast was at this current moment the better place to be. It gave him access to the outside world, and therefore control of the flow of information back to the king. One Spanish chronicler, writing soon after events, says that Almagro was so aware of this disadvantage that he sent a small group to attempt to cross Pizarro's territory and then sail to Panama on an improvised raft. They apparently took with them a letter giving his version of events and some gold for the king. It doesn't appear that they made it. Flowing in the other direction were the new arrivals, who were still sailing down to Peru in the hope of improving their lives in the new colony, as well as some who had belatedly responded to his requests for help fighting against Manco's rebellion. Among them was a group of soldiers sent down by Hernán Cortés, who you may remember was a distant relation of Pizarro. Pizarro could co-opt all these new arrivals immediately, and so at some point Almagro's numerical advantage would be gone. The second factor which Almagro was considering was that he was now 63. His age was starting to catch up with him. He could send his generals to wage a war against Pizarro, but he didn't know if he had it in him to campaign if this ended up being required. Presumably, his time in Chile had taken a toll on him and made his weak health abundantly clear. He was taken down with illness, and he had to spend a significant amount of time resting. With all this weighed up, Almagro made his decision. He told Espinosa that he would accept the deal. They would draw a line between his and Pizarro's territory. I can't find any information about exactly where, but it won't matter in the long run. Then they would wait for word from the king. While this put the final location of the boundary out of his hands, a truce with Pizarro would allow him to send someone to make his case when the king did make his decision. The message was sent to Lima, outlining that a deal had been agreed, and with it went a freed Hernando Pizarro. Espinosa didn't accompany him. Negotiating this truce was his last act, and he died in Cusco. Never trust Pizarro. That is the lesson which Almagro should have learnt already. Having secured the freedom of all his people, within a couple of months Pizarro was organising a new army to march up to Cusco. It was Hernando who was given the job of leading it. Perhaps if Espinosa had still been there, he might have been able to enforce the truce. But it's certainly possible, given Pizarro's ambition, that it wouldn't have made a difference. By now Almagro's numerical advantage was gone. He had about 500 Spanish soldiers, and Hernando could bring 700. Each side also had several thousand indigenous allies. Pizarro sent a message ahead, telling Almagro that he needed to respect the line drawn by the king. He needed to leave Cusco and withdraw to his territory to the south. By the time this message reached Almagro, the army was already halfway up into the mountains, and it was too late to attempt to block them off at one of the tight valley passes. Orgonez had been horrified when Almagro let Hernando go, correctly arguing 
that it was a big mistake to give up this advantage. When Almagro suggested trying to restart negotiations again, Ogonez is said to have been exasperated, telling him that it was too late. They had no choice now except to fight. It was Ogonez who would lead Almagro's army, and he selected a place called Las Salinas, just outside Cusco, as the place where they would fight. Infirm, Almagro was carried out to watch the battle from a distance. He wasn't the only one observing. While Manco and the Inca leadership had retreated to Vilcabamba, the population they had left behind were no more happy to be ruled by the Spanish than he had been. Having heard about the battle, they turned out to watch, not supporting one side or the other, but hoping that the two Spanish factions would destroy each other. Las Salinas was a marshy area, which provided the Inca with salt. They had dug a series of holes from which they extracted it, and these broke up the battlefield. These holes in the marsh provided Orgonias with some protection, but the lack of flat, open and dry land made it a difficult place to use men on horseback. Some of the other soldiers urged him to choose a different location, as their cavalry was one of the advantages they had over Hernando. Orgonias, however, could not be convinced. He arranged his men behind the marsh, with the horsemen and the six cannons he had split in half and put on each flank. Pauyu was once again in charge of the indigenous troops, and these were arranged on the hillsides overlooking the battle. Hernando used the same tactic. His brother Gonzalo took charge of the infantry in the centre, while the horsemen were split in two and put on the edges. He controlled one side, and Alonso de Alvarado took the other. Olgonez believed that the marsh between the two sides would oblige Hernando to avoid a head-on attack, and then, having funneled them into favourable terrain, and possibly forced them to break up, he could pick them off. Hernando didn't do this at all. He correctly judged the marsh would be no obstacle to a frontal charge, and he ordered his men to do just that. Olgonez had hoped to use the six cannons he had to further disperse Hernando's army to cause chaos, and to intimidate them. This plan did not work either. Instead, it was the gunmen and crossbowmen who Hernando had with him who were able to start inflicting damage on the defenders. Seeing he had to do something about this, he ordered one group of cavalry to charge at the guns and crossbows, but they did so with hesitation, as it meant that their small number would have to try and get through the bulk of Hernando's army. Orgonez took the initiative and led from the front. Soon the rest of his army was following behind, having given up any tactical plan. Without such a plan, it was a simple case of numbers, and Hernando's men started pushing Almagro's back. Orgonez's horse was shot from beneath him, and after being thrown to the ground, he attempted to carry on fighting on foot. It wasn't long before he was surrounded, and he died on the battlefield. Pauyu, seeing which way things were going, decided to switch sides, and he joined Anando in attacking Almagro's men. Soon they were all running back to Cusco in the hope of finding safety. Supposedly, even the men carrying Almagro ran away, and in the condition he was in, he was unable to get anywhere himself. Despite having previously been unable to even ride a horse, he is said to have found a mule somewhere 
and his desperation allowed him to steer it back to the city. The whole thing lasted an hour or two, and by the end he had lost a 120 men. Hernando had lost just nine. Almagro did not enter Cusco itself, but instead decided to barricade himself in Sacsayhuaman. It wasn't long, though, before he realised that this was pointless. He couldn't stay in there forever, and there was nobody left to help him out. He surrendered and was imprisoned. A few months later, he was killed. It's not clear how much say Pizarro had in this. I've read sources which make it sound as if Fernando took the decision himself. Whether there was enough time for him to receive news about the outcome of the battle and then send his orders back is unclear. Whether he would have made a different choice about what to do with Almagro is also unknown. In the end, it doesn't really matter. It should be the end of it. The end of the conquest of Peru. And in many ways, it was. In other ways, though, it wasn't. Pizarro had successfully conquered the Inca Empire for Spain, and for himself. His faction now controlled Peru, and nothing was going to change that. The Inca population, as well as all the other indigenous groups which had made up their empire, would not be free of Spanish rule until Bolivar launched his independence campaign centuries later. Almagro was gone. As a reason, you had probably heard of Pizarro before we started this series, but much fewer of you will have heard of Almagro. Pizarro won, and this was the moment in which he did it. History, though, can never really be put into neat boxes, where an event such as the conquest has a discreet beginning and a discreet end. Manco was still in Vilcabamba, running his neo-Inca state. This would require ongoing Spanish attention, so we must turn our attention to it before we can truly finish this series. On top of that, though, the conquest of Peru, or its aftermath, at least, has one more dramatic twist to come. If you've enjoyed this episode, and the podcast as a whole, I'd really appreciate it if you consider leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps the show grow, and for new people to discover it. If you really, really enjoyed it, and you're feeling generous, it is possible to make a small donation. These are much appreciated, and help cover the cost of running the podcast. There's a link with information about how to do it in the show notes. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America and that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T If you have any comments or questions feel free to get in contact at historyoflatinamericapodcast at gmail.com You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast The Twitter handle is at History Latin AM. And if you've liked the show, you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America. All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo. 
That's spelt www.etsy.com slash M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T photo. Thanks for listening.